I'm going to take just a moment to uh, introduce Doc. Uh, I m- mentioned this on Friday night to many of you that were here, but uh, I was in uh, Indiana for a season of ministry life, and while I was there, um, began to, in some ways, get grow frustrated with the church at large, right? With this idea that the only purpose for our existence was to come together and sing some cool songs on a Sunday and maybe hear some challenge to be more holy and then uh, to go back home and really, honestly, to not really change much, either about ourselves or to not change much about the area in which we live. And uh, in this growing tension, growing desire, I started taking classes up in Chicago uh, doing grad work there, and uh, God directed my steps towards uh, Dr. Feuder, and then another gentleman who's been here this weekend, uh, Dr. Julius Wong Loy Singh. And these two guys, uh, my heart just resonated with what they were communicating, uh, the passion they have for the Word of God and the passion to see uh, his church, his people, not the organization, but his people, the church, actually go out and do what he's called us and invited us to do. And um, I started doing everything I could to change my class schedule. This was at the time where they would rotate professors. And so a professor would teach a particular class. And if it was someone other than Doc or um, Dr. Julius, I would opt not to take the class. And I would wait until one of them came up for that class that I needed. And then I would take it. So I kept trying as much as I could to study under these two men, and, uh, and I am just thrilled this morning that uh, we get to hear from Doc, to hear his heart. Uh, he's going to direct us to the scriptures and tell us, more importantly, he would say, what God's heart is for this city. So would you welcome with me Dr. John Feeder. Good morning, Newcom. It is a blessing to be here all weekend. And to be here on Clipboard Sunday is an added treat. I just think you all should have crayons and, and take notes in different colored crayons. I think that would be amazing. So I may bring that back to our church in Chicago called Park Community Church and say, y'all, we need to do Clipboard Sunday. It's way cool. Hey, you know, Friday night, for those of you that were here, uh, we were talking about seeing the city with the eyes of God, and I, I think I made a comment, and I, I need to almost like say, wow, that wouldn't it be amazing if our churches on Sunday were standing room only? And y'all, that is you guys, man. You're like, st- I love it. So got to just give a shout out to that and the authentic community and the way that you guys love on each other. And that little mingling time was like real. It wasn't just sort of awkward and stiff. And so I just have to, again, affirm Russ and Kev and the whole team. And, um, you know, right back at Russ here, I, I think um, what, what gives uh, a teacher, a professor deep delight is to see students that just apply the truth. And um, I, I just sincerely, it's just such a cool thing to be here at Newcom and, and see the way that um, you guys are really authentically loving each other. And I trust loving Spokane and engaged in the community. I look out at so many of you that I'm, I suspect are studying at Gonzaga or Moody or, and I'm like, wow, the potential in this room. And my heart's cry would be that we would really live into the fullness of what God has for us. I, I did teach full-time at Moody for 17 years in the Chicago campus in the graduate school and now the seminary. And uh, this season of my life is doing things like this in um, churches across this country and globally, a ministry called Heart for the City. And that's the little thing that you have on the front of the bulletin. And 
Um, I think at the end, too, we have, there's some, some little card stock and stuff, Heart for the City. If, uh, if you'd like to remember us in prayer, pray for us, uh, website, and uh, my wife and I are living on support. We're raising support to do this. I, I teach part-time at Moody now, and so uh, we're trying to come alongside the body of Christ and to teach principles of what it is to engage your community. That's what yesterday was about. There may be a few copies of some books left uh, as well that we use to do that called Neighborhood Mapping. So, but what I want to do in the next few moments is point you to that great name that we sang about, the name of Jesus. And so could you look in your Bibles, please? Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. And we're going to talk a bit about the lifestyle of a disciple. You know, I, we, we came on Friday, we did some things Friday night, yesterday, and I was like, God, what would be the word that you would have for us Sunday morning? I, I like to try to just walk in rhythms there with the Spirit. And, and I, as I spoke with many of you, and I suspect that's true of those of you that are in the room right now, um, a lot of us are doers, right? We're active. We want to apply, and we want to make a difference, and we want to spread the good news of the gospel. And to those that are wanting to do, we come back in this chapter, Mark's gospel, and we look at the model of Jesus who lived in rhythms of being and doing, being and doing, time with his father, and then engage deeply in needs around us. So that's where we're going. This chapter, Mark's gospel, will particularly be looking at verses that start with verse 32 through the end of the chapter. So uh, one more time, can we pray together? Father, for your spirit, we thank you. We've sung your name, the name of Jesus, the name that is all-powerful, the name that has changed us, and the name that can change the city of Spokane and the entire Pacific Northwest in this nation. God, we give you permission for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher this morning. Father, may my words be quickly forgotten. They are irrelevant, but God, your words ring true to our heart. And so may your word capture us today in just these moments that we have together. God, we want to fully follow you. We want to be fully devoted. We want to understand the lifestyle of a disciple, a learner, a follower. God, please, by your spirit, may these words, your word, the model of your son, our Savior, just light us up, God, sink deeply into our hearts, and that, Father, our legs and our hands would be engaged as a result. We will trust you to do what only you can do, God, and we thank you that you are with us. And it's in your great name we pray once more. Amen. Okay, six thoughts that we're going to pull out of this passage here. Again, the lifestyle of a disciple. And the first one is to spend yourself. So I notice there's room on the back of your little blue bulletin. So maybe you can use the red crayon for this. No, I'm just messing with you. Spend yourself. Spend yourself. Now, I want you to see the context. I'm, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version. And the word immediately is underlined 12 times in this chapter. So there's an urgency to the ministry of Jesus right now. There's a certain amount of need and drama and stuff going on. There's this pull on him to be engaged deeply in the community around himself. Now, an example of this could be in verse 32 when you see this. When evening had come, the sun had set. Check this out. They began bringing to him all who were ill, those who were demonized. Look at verse 33. This is just off the chain. The whole city gathered at the door. Now, Spokane's a pretty good-sized town, Chicago, where I live, equally. So I don't think we're talking quite those numbers. But just check it out. Just, just think, even if it was a group this size, the, the sheer audacity of thinking that one person could literally, you know, take a number, please. Now serving number three, you know. And, and you just have to kind of get the scope of that. Why? Because there was something attractive about Jesus. There was an authenticity. There was a spiritual authority that was known about. This man speaks with authority. We've never seen anything like this. 
in Israel, there was that kind of deep connection with his heavenly father, we're going to see. And that kind of spending oneself is what we are called to as Christ followers. Yesterday, we lingered a little bit on the passage in Philippians 2 where, remember, it says Jesus laid aside his privileges in his incarnation and he came and lived among us. He, he got involved in our mess, in our stuff. So what does a Christian do? Find a mess and jump in for Jesus' sake. Be involved, spending yourselves. Where do we see this? Well, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 15 says this, I will most gladly, with great delight, with joy, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's a Christian. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. I will go to the mat for you. I will love on you. I will do whatever it takes for you to be in right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, keep your finger in Mark 1 and quickly flip to Isaiah with me. Isaiah 58. Because we see this laid out very, very clearly here. We're going to see in a moment that there's a big two-letter word that prefaces a lot of this kind of stuff. You remember this chapter? Good Moody students would know this. So this is Israel seeking to say, God, how come when we fast, you don't notice, man? How come when we do all of our religious thing, you're not feeling it? What's going on? And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. Let me show you what I value. And verses six and on, man, I mean, he talks about breaking the bonds of injustice and eliminating exploitation in the workplace. I'm referencing out of Peterson's The Message. I have literally the phrases written in the margin of my Bible to set free the incarcerated, to cancel debt, to share your bread with the hungry, to, here's a tough one, to invite the homeless poor into your home, to put clothes on the shivering naked, all this kind of stuff. Do this, verse 8, verse eight says, and the lights will turn on. He continues, your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your guard. You will call, the Lord will answer. You will cry and I will hear you, verse 9. Verse 10 is the, is the hinge verse to this. If you spend yourself, that's the word play in the Hebrew. If you spend yourself, Jesus says that's a true Christ follower, if you will. That's God's word to Israel. No, that's what it means to be in right relationship with me. If you spend yourself, satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness. The Lord will guide you. He'll satisfy your desires. He'll give strength to your bones. Those among you, verse 12, will rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up the age-old foundation. You will be called the repairer of the breach. That word means gaps or crevices, broken places. We looked at that Saturday for a while. When the church goes to the broken places, God says, that's my peeps. <laughs> that's my boys. That's my girls. Why? Because they're following the example of the son. The biggest two-letter word in scripture may be if. You don't have to do anything I'm talking about this morning and you'll still get to heaven. If you want it, God says, it's available. If you will be willing to give up the right to yourself. Jesus said that if any man will come after me, Luke 9, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. That's a Christian. That's a disciple. That's the lifestyle of a disciple. Every day I pray, God, I choose to give up the right to myself, to you today. And I put the interests of others ahead of my own. Every day, the rhythms of that. God, I choose to spend myself wherever that looks like in whatever capacity simply because I'm a Christian. Spend yourself. I'm a, 
Amy Carmichael fan, a missionary to India, lady was amazing, 50 years without a fertile and that's kind of old school, you know, this was like the first 50 years of the 20th century, gets on a steamship, sails from England, and rescues little girls that were used as temple prostitutes in the Hindu temples, amazing, kind of one of the first individuals to jump into the whole mess of human trafficking, if you will. She's written a number of things devotionally, she has a little booklet called Toward Jerusalem, prayers. So my wife and I tried to memorize these. We've been married for 35 years. Her name is Nell. And I should try this, but I'll probably mess it up. But if she was sitting here, she'd be looking at me and saying, you know those words. <laughs> Let me read them to you. It's called, Make Me Thy Fuel. Thinking about spending yourself now. From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee. From fearing when I should aspire. From faltering when I should climb higher. From silken self, O captain, free thy soldier who would follow thee. From subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings. Not thus our spirits fortified, not this way went through crucified. From all that dims thy, thy Calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. I love this phrase. Let me not sink to be a clod. Want to be a clod? No. <laughs> Make me thy fuel. O flame of God. Amen? That's a Christian, y'all. That's not a professor or a pastor or a missionary. That is in your DNA, O follower of Jesus, O disciple. Spend yourself in whatever season of life, student, single, married, children, about to be 58 years old like us old guys, spend yourself. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Let's look at that. Verse 34. He healed many. Interestingly, not all that had diseases. He cast out many demons. Not all. Whoa. How did he know? <laughs> Think of that. At the snap of his finger, Jesus could have dealt with every issue. We sing an old hymn. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free when he hung on Calvary's cross. Now, the second phrase here, so spend yourself is the first. The second is to re refuel, to refuel. Where do we see this? Look at verse 35. Early in the morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went to a lonely place and was praying there. Unbelievable, huh? Jesus has three short years to change the world, and he goes out and has a prayer meeting. <laughs> wow, huh? So what was he doing here? I don't think this was, oh, God, I pray for Peter. The guy is so impetuous. Oh, Judas is going to just turn me. You know, I don't think that was it. I think this is what it was. My father, what are your marching orders for me today? We could paraphrase this and Jesus could say, look at the lineup, father. Look at this. Who do you want me to serve, to love, to care for? Where do I go in these years? See, I think it was living in the rhythms of God. I depend on you as the son of man <laughs> to guide my steps. See, every day we enter into that. Say, God, today on my campus or in my job or in the gym or at home as whatever, God, today, how may your purposes be served in my life? How may I spend myself for others? How may I represent you as a Christ one? That's our prayer life every day. It's not the laundry list of, oh, bless Aunt Susan or, oh, God, it's so much of our prayers are selfish. God, I need a job. God, I need money. I need a wife. I need a husband. I need a boy. No, that's not, that's not it. God, what are your purposes for my life? How can I give my life away? We sing that chorus, I give my life 
way? You really want to do that? Maybe we should listen to some of the words we say. Wow, huh? I surrender some. Really? Isn't that it? Some to Jesus, I surrender. Really? All? That's a Christ one. That's a disciple. God, it's all for you every day. Now, in order to live into that fullness, you have to refuel, you have to recharge. Now, the model of this in in, uh, Mark's gospel, Luke's gospel continues. Keep your finger in Mark 1. Flip over to Mark 6. You'll see the model of Jesus' prayer life. Mark chapter 6, verse 46. Bidding the disciples farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. Wow. A bunch of them in Luke. Luke 6, verse 12. The prayer life of Jesus, it's worth spending time on. At that time, he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer. Luke 6, 12. Luke 9, 28 is another one. He took Peter and James and John with him, went up to the mountain to pray. It's the rhythms of Jesus' lifestyle, living in dependence on his Father. The lifestyle of a Christ follower is to refuel every day. Finally, in Luke 11, verse 1, remember the disciples were watching all this kind of stuff. In a moment, we'll see Peter and the boys trying to find Jesus in Mark's gospel. Finally, in Luke 11, verse 1, the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. We don't get this prayer life thing. What the heck are you doing up on the mountain? Look at the people. Man, we're going to be bigger, badder than John the Baptist, boys. We're going to be somebody. We're going to be Newcom. You know, we're going to be hard for the city. We're going to be a player. Jesus says, no, you don't get it. I didn't come for popularity, pressure, please, people pleasing, all that kind of stuff. It's not how I roll. The third thought here is to stay focused. To stay focused. Because look at what Jesus so they're looking for him, verses 36, 37. Finally, they find him. Everybody's looking for you. Jesus says, where's the back door trail down the mountain? Because I came, look at verse 38, to preach. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's our focus as Christ followers. Disciples at their best reproduce. We give our lives away to reproduce our life into others. So you have to stay focused, guys, because, again, as doers, it's easy to get distracted on all kinds of good things, but they may not be the highest thing. Jesus' model is proclamation and demonstration. We'll see that in a moment. He had something to say and something to do. So do we. But in order to stay on mission, one of the core values we just looked at, you've got to refuel. A number of years ago, I was training to run the Chicago Marathon. I know Russ is a runner. I'm I'm a real wannabe runner. He mentioned Dr. Julius, his wife, April, is a serious runner. In fact, she just ran the Berlin Marathon. So I didn't realize what it took to train to run this thing. And so this was in 09. And I had the infamous crash and burn in a training run. I was trying to do an 18-mile training run, and I hadn't properly fueled my body. I was running along Lakeshore Drive along the lakefront in Chicago. And at about the 50-mile marker, I had had this most surreal feeling that something is wrong with my body. I mean, I couldn't even put one leg forward to another. I was on a trail. There was a lot of people. It was way too hot. I should have started the run much earlier in the day. It was around the noon hour. It was probably like 85 degrees. It was in um, August. And I just collapsed. My knees buckled, and I fell like a heap right on the grass. People came running. They saw me, and instantly they're like, um, you're dehydrated. And, and then this is what happened next. We're going to call an ambulance. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. My wife's going to kill me you know, if I live through this. So the next time I hear is this ambulance coming, and I'm thinking, 
They're coming for me, but I was a wreck. My knee, I was, I was like, oh, it hurts. I was just like fetal position. It hurts. My, I hadn't fueled myself properly. I had my little cool belt with the little water bottles on it. I drank all my little Gatorade mixing water. You're supposed to drink gallons of water before you do those long runs. Off to the hospital I go. They put four bags of fluid in me. That's how low I was. The nurse said, you know, human body wasn't made for this. Don't ever run it again. And I was like, yes, man. But as soon as I was out, I'm like, I'm going to do this again. I, that cannot be the end of my running career. So Julius's wife, April, actually took my rib and ran the race in 09. And uh, the following year, 2010, I can say I actually did the Chicago Marathon in the record time of six hours and 15 minutes. Now, six hours and 30 minutes is when you get a medal. If I had to crawl across that line, I was going to do it. But my body cramped up so badly. I hadn't prepared. I knew I could, those long runs were going to kill me. So I trained for about a half marathon. I thought, I'm just going to man up and do this thing. At about the halfway point, somewhere in a neighborhood in Chicago called La Vita, a little village. It's the Mexican-American community. I was pushing up against one. My legs were cramping. I was like, oh, I'm dying again, you know. And I hear this student coming. It was a Moody student. Like, Doc, you okay? It's one of my grad students named Andrea. And I go, I'm not. I'm a wreck, but I am going to finish this. He goes, Doc, quitting is not an option. I will run the race with you. So together, we limped and hopped and crawled and ached and moaned, and we finished the race. Well, what was the point here? I hadn't fueled properly. And I'm telling you, you cannot spend yourself if you don't refuel, guys. You've got to find time to slip away, but stay focused. Keep on evangelizing. And then ultimately, what you see here is love deeply. Because here goes Jesus, verse 39, and he's in the synagogues now preaching, casting out demons. Again, proclamation, demonstration. It's a holistic kind of thing. And check out verse 40. Here comes a leper. Now, that was the AIDS patient of the day beseeching him, falling on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Look at verse 41, move with compassion. We talked about this Friday under. That word means to suffer with. And Jesus says, I'm willing to be cleansed. And, and so, guys, our calling as Christ followers is to love deeply. Go to the mat for people. That's a Christian where our heart aches and breaks and we go and we engage and we love. And so Spokane is waiting for that, y'all. And, and I, I don't mean to say that you're not, but... I look at it, as you guys were coming in, I was standing in the back and praying. I was saying, God, to unleash the potential in this room is unbelievable. What you guys could do as Christ followers to make a deep difference, even if you're here just for a few years as a college student, but to enable your life to be spent for him, to be refueling consistently, to keep the main thing the main thing, to be looking for ways to talk about Jesus, and then to go deep, to love deeply. And then the fifth point here is don't quit. Keep on. Quitting is never an option. And it's hard. It's hard to engage deeply. It's messy to let your heart be broken. I don't have time to tell you stories, but wow, my goodness, there is so much to this kind of stuff. To be present in place. Just a couple years ago, I was in Mokotam, the garbage community in Cairo, Egypt. 50,000 people live and in, in scavenge through the garbage. And a, a dear little ministry center called the Center of Love is right in the thick of this. And the smells alone, guys, bombarded your senses. And at first I started counting the rats. It, I, it, there, were, there were thousands of them. I, I mean, this, this was life for people. And when you spend yourself, when you love deeply, and we try to come along what we're doing, we resource Global Heart for the City, coming alongside this center and help them get rooted into the community and find ways to serve. But it, it's messy to do this stuff. It's gloriously amazing, but it's like, wow, God, you've got to show up. And it's easy to start. It's hard to finish. 
So, you know, 40, 45,000 people start the Chicago Marathon and 15 to 20,000 don't finish. I was almost one of those, so I get it. See what I'm saying? It's easy to start. It's hard to finish. So don't quit because there goes Jesus, man. Because if you think about it, verse 39, man, he's preaching, casting out demons, and then boom, it brings it right back down to a person with leprosy. And then the last point, because our time is over here, is to infect others. To infect others. So spend yourself. Refuel. Stay focused. Love deeply. Don't quit. And infect others. What do I mean by that? So here's Jesus toward the end of the chapter. He heals this guy, which is amazing. And then look at what verse 45 says. This guy goes to freely talk about Jesus, spreads the news to such an extent that he could no longer publicly enter a city. And they were coming to him from everywhere. Now, flip to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. You don't have to come back to Mark 1 because I need to be done. <laughs> but let me leave you with Acts 4, verse 12 and 13. Check this out. This was said of, remember, Peter's following all this stuff, Mark's gospel, Peter and John. The Holy Spirit had energized these guys in Acts chapter 2. We understand that. So check this out. Verse 13, so they're brought before the authorities. They're scolded and sometimes beaten and, shut up, man. <laughs> Stop talking about Jesus, you know. Look at verse 13. They saw the confidence, that word means boldness or courage of Peter and John. They understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and began to recognize what? That they'd been with Jesus. Amen? They were acting just like Jesus. That's what we are to be and do, amen? What is a Christ when it's a little Christ? We are each a little Jesus. That is just astounding to think about that. You are a Christ one, a follower of Jesus. The expectation is that you will live as he lived. You will engage lost people. You will keep one hand on the plow and the other wiping away the tears. You're going to love deeply. You're going to spend yourself. You're going to keep on refueling because that's the power source. Guys, you can't do it on your own. It's too stinking hard. But as you depend every day on the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, man, you can rock your campus for Christ, y'all. You can do this. You can set Spokane on fire. That's God's intent for Newcom, for my church in Chicago Park. We had issues in Chicago, but we're asking God, break our heart, God, pray Chicago. We're finding hundreds of people come together in prayer because we know it's beyond us to do this kind of stuff. But when you walk into the rhythms of a Christ follower, God changes you. People notice, and they want in. Amen? Let me pray, and I need to be done. Father, please hear our cry. We hurriedly ran through these principles. God, the model of your son is amazing, amazing to see his dependency on you, our Father, the capacity to spend, to love deeply, to proclaim and demonstrate, to not quit, to keep on every day, and to infect 12 men who infected the Roman world. God, help us to be that in our spheres of influence as God, on our campuses, in our neighborhoods, on our streets, in our schools, whatever that looks like. God, please, for the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, that the nations may know, that the cities may know, that Spokane may know, that you alone are worthy. And to that end, we say, Lord, help us to step into this, the legacy, the model of what it is to be a follower of your son. And it's in that great name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, just share something as I was sitting back there thinking.
just that idea of spending yourself, investing in others, giving you, all of that implies something that I think we in the church, not just here, but in the church globally, we don't want to talk about very often, and that is that there's a cost involved, right? To actually be who God has called us to be involves cost. Some of you, I saw when, uh, when Doc mentioned thousands of rats, I, say, I was sitting in the back and I saw many of you squirm. You're really kind of like, oh my word, like, that's kind of gross. I remember one of Doc's friends who lives in Chicago just got out of grad school, moved into um, a parsonage, which is like a little house attached to the church. Started serving this community of people, very low income neighborhood, very difficult uh, situation. And he's, uh, he's sleeping in the parsonage, and the way it worked is every night rats would run across him. And so he started trying to come up with a method to like deal with the problem. And so one night he had the mattress on the floor and he lined some traps kind of around the bed thinking that maybe they'll, they'll like get stopped before they get to him. And it didn't work. And then he tried a second layer of traps, like two concentric circles around his bed. And that still didn't work. And then he got all the way up to five concentric circles of rat traps around before he slept through the night without one crossing him. They would snap all throughout the night and wake him up. And I went, are you kidding me? And he, I remember just him going, man, that's a very small price to pay to be able to do what we're called to do. So I ask you, what cost how much are you willing to spend yourself? Certainly, we have to refuel as doctors. And certainly, we have to stay focused. But there is a cost involved. And it requires us to actually get out of the building. It requires us to get into our neighborhood. It requires us to roll up our sleeves. It requires us to go to the places that no one else is going. And that's why no one's there. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? But if it's not easy, then the question becomes, who's going to be doing it? And maybe God is inviting us to. Maybe he's inviting you to. And I know that we want to continue to pursue. What does it look like for us to be the kind of people whose hearts are so broken for the city it would move us into places no one else wants to go? And I'm convinced that that's what he's asking us to do.